The best B2B SaaS companies in the world have made the shift towards a demand generation strategy focused on revenue. On revenue. And Europe is falling behind. What about you? What about you? Isn't it about time you made the shift? On this podcast, we interview leaders at the forefront of modern demand generation to help you make the shift and join the movement. Join the movement. We need to drop the MQLs and focus on what matters, leading you into the future. This is the Demand Generation Movement, and this is your host, Adam Holmgren. Welcome to another episode of the Demand Generation Movement. And today, it's going to be me talking. I don't have anyone to interview. I'm going to give you my perspective on demand generation and how to build a successful playbook from scratch. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know, my name is Adam uh, and I work as head of demand gen at GetAccept. And for anyone that doesn't know um, what GetAccept does, we're basically a digital sales room. Um, which is a super new category created by G2, but more or less, we are trying to help sales teams close more deals through personalized video, through electronic signatures, and through engaging your buyers all the way through the sales process. Um, so check them out if you have a sales team that needs to hit the quota for next quarter. Um, and I wanted to start today by just briefly touching upon my definition around demand gen and the difference between demand gen and lead gen uh, to kind of get that ball rolling. Um, and lead gen in your traditional marketing or sales funnel is the first steps, basically. So it's how can we attract and convert as many leads as possible into the sales funnel and into the sales team's lap. Usually this is done through more high volume tactics such as having gated content, pushing it out in paid social, doing more low intent search keywords, such as free CRM uh, and similar things uh, like that. Tactics that can generate high volume of MQLs. Um, demand gen, on the other hand, is a strategy where we focus on optimizing for revenue. So all of our marketing activities should be done in order to optimize revenue furthest down the funnel, right? So we will absolutely continue to attract and to draw people in, but with the purpose of having it correlate as well as possible with revenue. So we do this um, by, by giving value to our target audience. And eventually we want them to come to us when they have a problem and then reach out and say that they want to book a demo, more or less. Uh, and this can take months. This can even take years, right? Before someone hears about uh, us at a community or at an event or something similar to that. And then when they finally realize that, yeah, we have a process that can be better here, then they reach out to us. That is the ideal situation. So in a Lydian situation, it's very common that you have a huge inflow of MQLs. You can have thousands and thousands of inbound leads, right? Um, but the further down you get to the funnel, it diminishes, diminishes rapidly. So it's very low or almost no correlation with revenue. If we instead look at the demand generation funnel, um, 
we have fewer inbound for sure, by far, but a lot of them convert all the way down the funnel. So a lot of them actually turn into revenue. And in the end, we have an increasing revenue by, you know, at least 10x compared to the Lydian setting. So that is the baseline of how I view Lydian versus Demandian. And if I want to give one advice to how you can transition your marketing or marketing team towards a more revenue-driven uh, strategy, it is naturally that you need to get the executives buy-in because the, the leads will go down. In the beginning, your revenue will probably not go up since you have sales cycles that are for X amounts of months. But if you stick through it and keep pushing, uh, the result will also show. So what I like to do to make this buy-in a reality, uh, I like to split the funnels. And this is, I've done this at several companies and it, it works like a charm every time. So by splitting your standard sales and marketing funnel into one that is more uh, high intent. And when we talk about high intent, we usually mean when uh, the lead actually have intent to buy, right? And in this case, for me, it would be, okay, they have asked for them or a contact request to actually talk to us already. Uh, and then we split it into the second funnel that is the more low intent funnel. Okay, this lead doesn't really seem to have a buying intent. It can be a free trial. It can be from an event or something similar like that. And when we do this exercise, you can do it for, say, the entire 2021. We usually see that most of the inbound, most of the MQLs are coming in in the low intent funnel, but most of the ARR are coming out of the high intent funnel. So there is a big misalignment between where we focus our efforts and where we get the revenue. Hey everyone, I just wanted to stop you for a minute to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Riverside, one of the leading podcast and video recording platforms. I was actually using Riverside before they become a sponsor, so when they reached out, it was an easy decision. When I started this podcast, I was simply using Zoom to record my interviews, and from there, edit the audio as good as I could. But after trying their platform for the first time, I was blown away. It's as easy to use as Zoom but I can record a much higher quality audio. And what's amazing is that it doesn't matter where my guest is located. It sounds like they're sitting with me in the same room. And after the recording, you can download separate audio tracks that upload separately on all guests' computers, which means the Wi-Fi issue is non-existent and it's easy to edit all tracks. And today, Riverside is used by big names such as Gary Vee and companies like Spotify and the New York Times. So check them out. You'll find a link in the description. And now back to the episode. And by just doing this, you will show the exec team that, okay, we probably need to focus more on this high intent funnel. And how do we do that? Well, we provide value towards our audience and eventually this will grow, right? And it doesn't have to be like a, a major shift right away. You can just start slowly, right? Start, okay, we want to put some focus into this funnel. We want to put a bit more focus into these demos and giving value. Uh, and then after a while, you'll probably be able to see some sort of early results, and then you can continue. 
So I think this is by far the most important thing to do initially when you want to make the transition from, from lead gen to demand gen. And when we look at what kind of KPIs are important, naturally, this is the strong suit of lead gen, right? Most of the inbound coming in are direct conversions. So, so let's say we push a, a gated content piece out at uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, it will be a direct conversion attributed to LinkedIn. So it's very easy to see, okay, we're spending this amount of money on LinkedIn and we're getting this amount of money back. Uh, in demand gen, this is much harder. Say that we, you know, are putting a lot of time and effort and money into communities, into podcasting, into events. This is rarely something that we can attribute revenue to, but in the long run, they have a huge effect on revenue, right? And on brand awareness and on all of those things. So usually in a demand gen setting, we, we like to measure revenue. Of course, it's the number one target. Um, but we also like to measure pipeline. So how much pipeline are we actually creating and how much pipeline do we need to create to hit our revenue targets? And then we can backtrack even further. Okay. How many, you know, high intent MQLs do we need to create? to get the pipeline we need to hit our ARR targets. Uh, in a Lydian setting, this is much less holistical in a, in a way. We are more looking at, okay, how can we drive as many MQLs as possible to as low cost as possible? Uh, and that is, you know, that is one model, but it's rarely or never very correlated with, with revenue, right? So. I think it's important, as I said, to get executive buy-in and that you want to make this change, but it's the same thing with the KPIs. It needs to be very clear what marketing is measured on um, and what success for marketing, uh, how it looks like. Um, so now we more or less know how to make the transition towards demand and we know what to measure. How can we then build a successful demand team? Because the, uh, and this is different at every company. There are a lot of companies with marketing team that doesn't have a demand team. All the teams within the marketing team are, um, should create demand in a sense, which is a completely fine perspective. Other teams have a demand team that consists of a lot of different, uh, people. We have, we have brand, we have content, we have demand marketers, we have performance and so on. Um, but from my perspective and how we do it at GetAccept, I wanted to share with you. Um, we have in the demand team, we have regional marketeers, um, that own the, the regional KPIs for their region. So they own and they drive to really reach those revenue targets in their region. Um, uh, and other than that, they are very, very focused on the demand creation and the brand awareness part of it. So events, we have community communities, we have content marketing, we have SEO uh, and similar tactics like that. Um, and I think this is crucial to get these kind of local touch, dependent on what product or service you sell and how global you are. I think it's important to have um, someone that owns and really drive a specific market. And secondly, we have performance marketers, because again, we can do a lot of things organically, but one of the easiest way, maybe at least when we enter a new market is to, you know, 
amp up our paid because that's a way for us to make sure that we're seen by our target audience to pay for it, right? So we have performance marketers that is building out our more global uh, paid search and paid social strategies that is then localized together with our regional marketers. So this is the basis of our uh, demand gen team. And then we, of course, have a lot of other resources in the, in the greater marketing team. We're approximately 30 people now. So we, we get a lot of help from our brand team, from our content team, from our web team, from our partner team. Um, so there is all of this collaboration. We are just one small part of the demand creation uh, and demand generation. But for me, I like to have a demand team because it makes it very clear what we focus on. Um, and I think that's important. And when we, after we have a team, we naturally need, before we start to get into the more tactical side of things, we need to have a framework for how we work with demand again, right? Um, and my framework is split into two parts. We have all of our awareness channels. And that can be events, communities, podcasts, paid and organic social display, uh, and so on. And that is really how we drive our brand and uh, to grow, more or less. And then we have our intent channels, so where people can actually show what intent to buy they, they have, and we can act upon that. And that is more the paid search, the organic search, the review sites, such as G2, Captera, Trustpilot. Um, and the awareness part of it, the awareness channels, as I, I said, we can measure that through many, many things, but we can measure direct traffic, branded traffic, social following, recommendations, word of mouth, and all of these things. I didn't mention this before, but attribution is a tricky part when it comes to marketing. Most uh, of the inbound coming in will either get attributed to paid search or direct traffic, right? Um, but most often the real starting point of that leads journey, so to say, is something completely different. So I recommend everyone to, to implement uh, a field in your form. Um, that's how did you find us where people can simply tell us, um, in an aggregated form, how they found us from their perspective. And usually that perspective is very different to what we attributed to. Usually that consists of a lot of events. Um, a lot of organic LinkedIn, and I've got a lot of word of mouth colleagues, things that not really, uh, it, it's not possible to attribute in a way, but it's affecting it greatly. And that's why I believe that the awareness channels are so, so important in order to create demand. And then we also have a natural collaboration between these channels. So awareness channels, by creating this awareness, we naturally increase the amount of existing high intent demand that we can capture. I think a lot of uh, demand thought leaders out there talk about the demand creation part of demand generation. And this is, of course, very important and maybe even more so when you have a new category um, where there isn't really any demand to begin with. But if you are in a category, say CRM, or say like we have been in before, eSign, electronic signatures, there are existing demand to be captured and we would be stupid if we would let that slip, right? And that's why it's so important to also focus on intent channels and to capture, um, capture certain demand.
Uh, and I, I think you should not uh, forget about that. And how do we, do we then measure if we are capturing high intent leads and high intent demand? Well, that's the demos and the contact request, right? Um, that's how we know that people want to talk with us. And if that increases, obviously there is more demand for our products. And I think that's yeah, really the essence of it. Before we continue this episode, I want to tell you about one of today's sponsors, Albacross. I first started using Albacross a few years ago to identify unseen website visitors and personalize the messaging on the web. But only within a few years, they've developed to be a key player when it comes to buyer intent data. So you get account level insights into every interaction with a potential buyer from Albacross from awareness all the way down to retention. And it means that Albacross makes it easier to answer all of these key demand questions that we have. Which accounts are ready to buy and should be sent to sales? Which ad campaign are driving the most ICP buyers? And what is my ideal customer account interested in and how can I better reach them? So if you are trying to figure out these problems, check them out at albacross.com and they'll help you out. And now back to the episode. And from this kind of framework, we, of course, split it out um, quarterly in these uh, two funnels I talked about before. So how much of this high intent uh, demand do we need to create and pipeline do we need to create to hit our revenue targets? Um, and thereafter, when we have a framework to actually start with, I wanted to share with you today also kind of our um, playbook on paid search and our playbook on paid social. Um, and then we'll see if we in, in another episode will touch upon organic search and more the organic side of, of building our uh, demand. But I think this is a good start and probably the easiest way to get started. If we look into paid search, we, we have decided I've done this before to, to group all our keywords by intent. And when I say intent, I mean, again, how much buying intent um, the person who searches actually have. So we have low intent, we have medium intent, and we have high intent. Um, usually the medium intent or is where most of the volume is. Like this is your classical CRM or electronic signatures. That's where most of the volume of the searches is. But it's hard to know if these people are just casually browsing or actually looking for a solution. The high intent ones um, are way less volume, um, often very expensive, but people are often also ready to buy. It can be your own brand, naturally, that's high intent. It can also be versus your competitors. It can be best CRM in the US and similar things like that, where people actually express an intent. And then we have a low intent, and this is really the bucket we want to avoid, right? It's more the keywords related to free CRM, free electronic signatures, and all of those things that have some volume for sure, but it rarely correlates with re revenue, if ever, to be honest. Um, and I think this is a great exercise to do uh, for your company per market, split it up and see how much budget you're spending in each of these buckets and see if you can make a shift towards a more high intent play. Yes, you will for sure get less inbound in, 
but it will be way more correlated to, to revenue. And not only that, I think another important thing about paid search, it's super easy to get started with paid search. And what's good also is that if we start early with that, we get a lot of data to learn. So when we have realized, okay, what high intent keywords are working the best for us? Well, then the, the sol solution to not pay for that forever is to try and start ranking for it organically, right? Start to write articles, start to create content based on these high intent keywords. Uh, take the one I said before, best CRM in the US. Let's try to start ranking for that and eventually we might not even have to pay for it. Um, that is really how I think paid search should evolve and uh, collaborate with organic search part of what we are doing. Because more, most often we are, we're still creating landing pages only for paid search anyways. So if we can do that in combination with organic search, we are onto something really amazing. That is the essence of our um, paid search strategy. And then I wanted to also touch upon the paid social. So paid social can really be any channel that we're present in on social media, such as LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and so on. Um, and I think the, this is one of the greatest channels where we can actually, you know, make sure that we are seen by our target audience. That is, that is really amazing, right? We can actually make sure that we get our message out to them. Uh, but then I think the most important part in building a playbook for Pit Social, it is to focus on the people that not get into the website. So a really good CTR from someone looking at your ad on a social media is around 5%. So 5% of those people get into your uh, website and actually see what, what, what it's about and so on. But 95% doesn't. You know, we need to optimize for the people that doesn't. We need to leave them with a takeaway and we, we need them to, we, we need to stand out in the feed more or less. Um, and not, not only stand out in the feed, we need to also realize that the buyer journey isn't static. So people are not following a linear journey from tofu to a mofo ad to a bofo ad and then converting. We have no idea in what stage of a journey a buyer are. So we need to create messaging and creative and value propositions for all of these kind of stages. And then we need to serve it to everyone because we have no clue. And then with a bit of luck, uh, eventually we will hit the sweet spot, right? We will talk exactly the way someone in our target group wants, and then they will eventually find us. Um, and then I think a mistake that, that I see many companies do, uh, that I think is easy to do, it's to focus too much on the decision maker. Um, so basically we only show our ads to decision makers since they are the ones signing off on the product, right? Yeah, that is true. But the end user, and take, take us as an example, our end user is an account executive at GetAccept, uh, and the decision maker is probably more a sales leader. Um, if we target account executives that then enters our product, actually tries it out, that is how we fuel word of mouth and the dark social as people talk about. Um, when you actually talk about us in communities, at your workplace, um, 
And this is much easier to do if you target your end user and not only your decision maker. So I think it needs to be a, a collaboration between those. Um, and as I said, we need to stand out in the feed. And with that, I mean, you know, we need to have colors that stand out. We need people to stop at our um, ad. We need to have a header that is very easy to read. We need to have a message that gives an immediate takeaway and we need to match that with some related visual. Um, I think if we can do that and then have a frequency where people will see this um, during a period of time, we increase the chances of them knowing who we are, what we do, when they eventually will have the problem. And that is what I also think is so great about paid social, paid social. I think it's such a great support channel for paid search and for direct, right? People see us in social for, you know, months. And when they realize they have a problem or need to, you know, change current supplier or whatever, they will search for us or enter to our page directly because they have already heard about us and what we do. Uh, and that is the great correlation we want to find. We don't want to get necessarily direct conversions from social. That doesn't matter. We need to find the high intent buyers that when they are ready to buy, they come to us. And I think that's an important change in the mindset here. Uh, that was actually all I plan on giving you today. And hopefully during next time when, when I uh, and to speak on my own again, I will touch more on the organic parts of how to build maybe your personal brand, how to build your organic search up, how to build your organic LinkedIn, and how all of that correlates with these more paid efforts I, I talked about now. But thank you for listening. And next week we will be, next week, next month, we will be back with another interview. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Demand Generation Movement, the podcast where you can learn everything about demand gen and how to make the shift towards revenue. Are you ready to step into the future and join the movement? Subscribe on DemandGenerationMovement.com. This is your host, Adam Holmgren, signing off.